listening to another powerful message from C3 Southwest Washington. We are so excited you're here with us, and we believe God has more in store for you. I stand back, and I've, I've known Jordan for a lot of years, and, uh, you know, he's just such a great human being. We've got a lot of those in this church family. But I remember the first time that I asked Jordan to, to speak and it might have been for a giving message. I don't remember what it was. I, he's certainly a generous individual. And he was, he got up, he grabbed the microphone. He was shocked that I asked him. He was terrified. He shook. He burned off like a thousand calories in about the two and a half minutes of speaking. And he hated every second of it. I know he did because we had discussion afterwards. And so I told him, I said, I'm going to ask you to do something. I'm going to, I'm going to invite you to do something. I want you to do it one more time before you shut it down. I said, please, will you do it one more time before you reject me? And he said, I'll, I'll do that for you. And he did it and it went so much more smooth. And you know, there's, see, here's the thing is, you can learn to speak well, but it's what you speak comes out of the who you are. And what was so great is I could already see, having known Jordan and Caitlin, for, for a number of years and watching their interactions. They're so generous in a crowd of people, in individual relationships. You, you, if you're not friends with Jordan and Caitlin, sign, it doesn't matter your age, I promise you. You could be a thousand years old or you could be two years old. They're all in. They'll have you to their house. They'll, spend their, they'll do life with you. Um, but the generosity is able to come out in the speaking because it's already there within the heart. And so I just, I celebrate, you know, Jordan, want to celebrate you and, and Caitlin this morning, just, just to let you know, we love you. We appreciate you and love when you come up here. I'm just, I just smile. I know that there's always going to be something good that comes out of him that inspires me to be even more generous. And it's one, he, they are some of the trophies that are in this family. There's so many wonderful gifted people. Uh, he mentioned Alana. Alana kind of poured it out there at the end of what they were doing with the team and the entire team. And you just look around our church family and uh, we've got our own resident Spider-Man running around today, shooting webs at kids and some other individuals and our orange shirt team. And uh, what a great church family. Amen. Let me just do this. Let me just pray over you. Okay. All right, Father, we thank you that even though it's summertime, we're here in the house and we know we've got some online who are traveling and that's, that's good. We're grateful for them, grateful for the ability to watch later on online and for the technology, thankful for the creativity and the the, the uh, commitment to excellence our tech team has. We thank you for them. Uh, Father, uh, as we finish up our series this weekend, today, and as we conclude in this final message that talks about um, ruling, ruling over sin, God, I pray that you allow the word to come forth strong and that it will be a shift in some people's lives as they step into a new view of sin, a new healthier approach to sin, and they learn how to rule over it so that they can rule their lives well. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. And everyone said amen and amen. High five the person next to you. Give the Lord a big hand. And you can grab your seat and grab your Bible. I did want to say um, that next week we have, I got a phone call on Friday. Uh, Pastor Phil, uh, you'll know Pastor Phil and Chris Pringle, who are the uh, founders of C3 back in 1980 in Sydney, Australia. They planted the C3 movement. I got a phone call from his uh, administrator wanting to know if we had any space for them to come next Sunday. Yeah. You know, and my first reaction was like, that's like in like seven days. 
Um, oh my gosh. And then I thought, you know what, this is a, uh, maybe a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for our church family. Right now he's in London, and so he's going to be flying over next, uh, uh, next weekend and coming in, and we don't even have all the details. I said, we would be honored to host. And I started to begin to think about, well, who's on vacation? Will we have, an, you know, and all those things go through my mind. And then I stood back and I said, you know what? It will be our privilege to have him. I know him. We've had dinner with him. Uh, you will be shocked at his um, down-to-earth approach. And um, I, I want to tell you, he'll fit right in here next week. But I want to challenge you. Be here. Invite your friends. Invite your family. Because, again, it is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to have him in our church uh, probably visiting. And I think that uh, there'll be some things that really inspire you. And we're not going to do anything out of the norm next week other than his speaking. We're going to do what we do. Uh, what we do is C3. We're part of the family. Uh, I've been in lots of big C3 meetings and some smaller C3 meetings. And uh, I'm very proud of our church family, and he will love being here. And we don't have to do anything. We don't have to polish the brass. I, I might trim my hair up a little bit next week because I do that every Sunday morning. Uh, after I work out, and um, okay, <laughs> all right. So with that, please invite your friends and family. We want to go ahead and take advantage of that opportunity to be with uh, our family and celebrate um, what what he's also accomplished. He's in a new season of his ministry, and he's no longer pastoring in Sydney. He's now leading the movement, which has about 600 churches worldwide, uh, which is incredible when you really think about it. Him starting out on Easter Sunday in 1980. And so it'll be an honor to have him with us. Okay, that being said, uh, take a look at your Bible in Genesis chapter 4, verses 6 through 7. A great verse that I love. And it's interesting because Cain, who is angry at this moment in his life, is experiencing the draw of anger to step into sin. He's really mad because his brother has received a accolades from God, and he has not. This is not a giving message, so I'm not going to get into why Cain's gift was not celebrated by God. Um, let me do point out, though, something that's part of this series and part of these last couple of messages on sin. Sin is to miss the mark. It's not just to do something wrong. Sometimes it's doing the right thing with the wrong attitude, right? And, and so Cain gives an offering but he gives it with the wrong attitude and the wrong measurement. And God lets him know that that is not based on his word. And it's, it's, not, it's rejected. It's, it's, it, it misses the mark. And Cain begins to be jealous of his brother and angry at God. And in the process, God warns him here. He says, if you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, and here's the key. I want you to notice the wording here. Sin is crouching at your door. And I would say that to everyone in this room. Sin is ever crouching at your door. It was crouching at every person who's ever walked the earth. In fact, it was even crouching at Jesus' door. Sin. I think that there's um, some misunderstandings that we have about sin and some wrong views of sin that are actually part of the enemy's strategy for us to misunderstand sin and get us chasing something that is not, reacting to something that is incorrect, and solutions that are wrong about sin so that we go around in this cul-de-sac of failure and we don't rule over sin because those are the next words that God speaks to Cain. He says to him, this sin crouching at your door, it desires to have you, but you must... 
not run away from it, not, not, not bend your will in a way that resists it. He says you must rule over it. And that is a, a thing that we need to grab onto and understand that sin will always be. I think in our minds that we've bought into this idea that if we were more spiritual, we would not be tempted. That if I just read my Bible more, if I was more faithful to God, if I spent more time in worship, temptation would be less tempting. Temptation is always going to be tempting. You know why? It's called temptation. Do you know that Jesus experienced temptation? Oh, no, 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 no. It, it, well, it, it, it showed up and knocked on his door, but he punched open the door and he said, get out of here. And he, had, he was not, in your mind, maybe really tempted. The Bible actually says that when tempted, he suffered. I mean, what's tempting to Jordan and what's tempting to me might be different than to what's tempting to Abby or Pat. But the thing is, we're all open to temptation. It, it speaks to who we are and the things that we struggle with. And when we're tempted, there is an element of suffering no matter how spiritual you are. This idea that if I fast, if I read my Bible more, then this temptation will go away because I'll be more spiritual is one of the strategies of the enemy to get you to chase your tail. Because you'll fail at that, and once you've failed a few times, you just give up and be like, there's something wrong with me. There's nothing wrong with you. In fact, let me check here. Yes, I, I still have a pulse right now, and so for me, temptation is going to be very tempting. In fact, it's a good sign that actually I'm a threat. If, tempting, if temptation is not tempting, it probably means that my land has already been invaded by the enemy, and I've just given up. In fact, temptation lets me know that there's things of great value in my land that makes up my Christian walk, and that the enemy is trying to rob me. I mean... You know, um, there's not a lot of people breaking into tents on the side of 205 right now to steal stuff. Now, it's not being disrespectful to someone's housing, but bad guys break into places where there's value. And so when I experience temptation crouching at my door, it's a great reminder that I have things that are of value that somebody else wants to take from me. And so I want to lean into hopefully help change your perspective a little bit about sin. This is the third message in this thought, in this series on being a disciple, and don't, don't worry, we'll have a new series coming up in a few weeks, but it will be just a carry-on consideration of what we've been talking about, discipleship. Just a way to keep you thinking that we're moving around all the time, but God has a consistent thought for our church family, and um, I, I won't be able to touch on everything of value about sin and temptation today, but if you listen to the last two messages, I think that you get a pretty good approach and view of temptation, what it means, what it doesn't mean, and how to overcome it. So with that, I, I want to say this. As a disciple, you follow Jesus, right? And actually, when you step across the line to become a disciple, which is a follower of Jesus, you are moving away from maybe being a never-Jesus person or a unbeliever or even a liker of Jesus, and you've made the decision to step across the line and begin to follow. But the moment you step across the line, you actually step into something called the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is not for after you die. The kingdom of heaven is your relationship with God who is king over your life now in this world. And someday it will be fulfilled when we make it to heaven, but you can experience the kingdom of heaven here on earth. That's why Jesus came. And so as you begin to follow Jesus, you step into very much 
I want you to think in terms of a kingdom, a territory that's been assigned to you by God, but it has enemies in it. You step into your life, much like the Old Testament saints or, or God's people stepped out of Egypt and began to step into, the, into Canaan land. You need to think about this. There's a land flowing with milk and honey that God has for you. It's your personal promised land. It's been marked out by God. It's been purchased by Jesus' sacrifice. And yet, as you step into it, your job is to rule and to reign and to perfect it. You build your life. As you step into that journey while you are following Jesus, there is, are these great promises that we see throughout Scripture, Numbers 33, that apply Old Testament concepts to this New Testament journey. Um, the, the word there was, and then you shall drive out all the inhabitants of the land from before you and destroy all their figure stones and destroy all of their metal images and demolish all of their um, ungodly high places and you shall take possession of the land. You shall settle in it for I have given the land to you to possess it. And though that's an Old Testament promise, that, Jalise, that's your life from the moment you said yes to Jesus. You are stepping into your life, and there are lots of threats, and there's some things in the land that need to go, and sin will always be crouching at the door. And this is all about us fighting as we follow Jesus to experience every good thing that Jesus gave his life for. You can't experience it in any of these other boxes. In fact, what's really frustrating for someone who really likes Jesus, they are very frustrated because there are promises in the word of God that they can see, that they believe, but they never experience because they've never actually stepped into the kingdom of God to actually follow. They really like Jesus. They've added Jesus to their life, but this area of sin crouching at the door really becomes problematic in how they see sin. And so we see sin as a threat. It's one of the enemies to what God has for me. You know, I, as a young believer, as I experienced temptation, I, I bought into some of the lies thinking that there's something wrong with me. I'm not spiritual enough. I'm not Christian enough. I, I, I'm weak that I'm tempted and all of those things. And, 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 and when I sinned or as I struggled with temptation, I felt like this is, this is a thing that God is, if I do this, God is going to be mad at me. And I really carried that around. It was like a heavy backpack all the time dealing with sin as if it is something, if I participate in, that God will be mad at me. And that became the whole weight of the thing. And what I didn't recognize is sin is, is uh, God has not said not to participate in sin so that we can earn his pleasure or his displeasure. God has asked me to not sin because he recognizes that sin is an enemy to everything he has for me. And so often it's a substitute for the things, the real things that he's died for. And so discovering that has helped me to approach temptation and these things differently and to see the, the enemies of what God has for me, one of them being temptation. It doesn't become, a, oh, if I do that, God's going to be mad at me. I mean, there's going to be some issues and there's going to be some problems with if I do that. But what I really see the problem is if I allow that thing onto my territory, how's it going to impact this territory? Because when you really begin to study sin and you begin to discover its role, it's a, a thing that burrows down in deep and it's like a seed. I'll talk about that in a minute. And it plants itself in your life and the fruit that grows from it is unexpected. And it's devastating to that land over there. 
Um, one of the enemies, obviously, that we have, it is certainly sin. So let me, let me talk about four different types of sin that we face as, as disciples and hopefully give you some approach on how to handle them because there's different ways of dealing and ruling over different types of sin. It's not the same approach to every type of sin that you will face, every type of temptation you'll face. So number one, I just want to give you this challenge to rule over residual sin. It's sin that resides in the world. You and I, we've stepped into the kingdom of God, but I'm looking around, and I mean, it's the, it, we still live in the world. Um, it's always great to go to a, a, um, uh, one of those, uh, there's one down on Highway 14 in town, uh, one of the pizza places that does the wood-fired you walk in there, and you're like, mm. and there's like 87 pizzas, and you're trying to narrow it down to the top five that you want to order and eat. And it's great. You end up enjoying some pizza and your family, and you're just, it's, it's fantastic. Hopefully, you bring some home. But it's interesting, if you go anyplace after that, there'll be people that'll start smelling like as if like you stink. And what you can't tell because you were in that atmosphere is that the smell of that atmosphere has actually attached itself to you. And without your awareness, you're carrying it around now with you. And that is a reality of even though we're in the kingdom of heaven, we are in a very imperfect world. And just navigating throughout our day, navigating throughout the crowds of people and business transactions that aren't necessarily evil, but everything in this world has been poisoned by sin, been poisoned by the fall of man. From Adam's first sin right down to our last terrible thought, there is a, a smoke that fills the world that we live in. And we're not always really... We, we notice the extreme strong fragrances, but there are times when we're working out, and if you actually sat down and listened to the words of the song that are playing... You're like, what? I should do what? No, sir. I live for Jesus. I'm not doing that. And yet they become, you know, just melodies that play in the background that we've kind of really, really liked, and we've missed the message. That debris gets on us. And whether watching a movie or hanging out with friends or, you know, there's just so much of that smoke in the air from the world that clings to us. And so we understand that, and it desires to taint our lives and our actions. You know, if you've been around negative people, anybody, not that any of you have negative people in your life, I'm, you have the most upbeat people in your world, in your life, in your church, in your immediate family, and the, your coworkers are amazing. I know this, but some people actually have to work with negative people. And how many of you know when you step into that environment, it's like stepping into a in, into a stinky room. And you can smell it and it disgusts you, but after a while you get used to it and it clings to you. And it's really easy to buy in and start participating in that culture without realizing it. As something you need to really be notice, uh, be aware of because it's, it wants to burrow into you, get on you, and rob you and, it, and step onto your territory. How many of you know negativity is a reason why many of the people who left Egypt never made it to Canaan land. Their negative talk, their constant complaining. Well, why do we have to eat this? How come we don't have the good stuff we used to have? We should go back to Egypt. Negative, negative, negative. And that negative talk are words. 
that go out into your future and plant themselves, and you actually speak your future into existence. And God says, I want you to walk in faith, not walk in that negativity. And so some of those people never made it to the promised land because of their negativity. Hey, listen, you will rot, you, listen, you want to be negative, you're going to find that you are going to go in circles in this land because what you, you know, we think of, well, I've been faithful to my wife and I've never robbed anybody and I've come close to murder, but I've not actually done it. So I should be good to go. There are bigger threats than the desire to murder somebody on I-5. In fact, one of the surest ways to poison your life is just the words that come out of your mouth. I mean, it, you won't have to murder anybody because you will have pulled the pin on, on all the good things going in your life because they're coated with negativity. Fear, anxieties, there, there are things that want to creep in that we buy into because of the atmosphere we are in. And, and so that's why it says in Isaiah chapter 64 that we have all become like one who is unclean and all of our righteous deeds are like polluted garments. The reason why that is is even your purest motive has been, been polluted to a degree by the fragrance of the world that we live in. And, we, and, and here's the thing. If you understand that and recognize that, there's a solution to dealing with that. I don't know about you. Let me speak to our teenagers for just a moment. Um, there's a thing, it doesn't sound spiritual, but it's called hygiene that I would recommend for you to buy into, especially you young guys who are really, there's a girl that you really would like to meet, get to know, say hi to and all of that. Uh, you're praying on God to give you, you know, a miracle and all sorts of things, but a step in the right direction would call, be called a shower, okay? Regular showers to bathe, to smell good, to look clean, those are some helpful things. Why? Because we stinky people don't know they're stinky. How many of you know that? People with bad breath don't know they have bad breath. Everyone else does, but they don't. Why? Because they're used to it. And so hygiene is one of those things that even though you don't think you're dirty, you take a shower daily or at least every other day or after you work out, whatever. Okay, take a shower and now you are clean. Why? Because even if you weren't out rolling in the dirt... You've been walking out through the day in perspiration and smell, and you touched this, and you did that, and something got on you. And, and honestly, in a spiritual way, bathing regularly is so important. I don't know if you've incorporated this in your daily life, but repentance, we always think, oh, God, I'm sorry for this, and I'm sorry for that. Sometimes, repentance, dealing with the sin in our life, sometimes just coming before God and not being able to name a single thing but knowing I've been in the wood fire pizza place and I know I smell like smoke, so God, wash me and I will be clean. In fact, when the disciples asked Jesus to teach them how to pray, it was given and delivered as a daily prayer and part of the daily prayer was, Father, forgive us of our sin as we forgive those who have sinned against us. And the reason, it's, it's, it's the understanding that we stink and we need to shower regularly. Because if we don't, there's, even if you're not out robbing banks or, or, or you know, carjacking, debris begins to build up on your life without you realizing it. And next thing you know, you, you, you don't even have the, you, you've got this hardened shell around you and you can't even spiritually function the way you're designed. You know, there's a, a pretty cool surgery um, 
that I've, I've experienced a couple of people have that involves hearing. Inside of your ears, you have two very small bones that kind of work together and give you the ability to hear clearly. And for some people, over time, things begin to, some calcium begins to build up inside the ear, and those, those, those bones that kind of function like a hammer, they, uh, and a joint, they, they're not able to move around like they should. They become calcified, stiff, and rigid. And over time, without realizing it, that person can no longer hear clearly the sounds that they heard as a young child. And I've known people who have gotten the surgery, and it's like instantaneously after they get it, they are able to hear crystal clear and in stereo. And I want to tell you that over time, if you don't come before the Lord and wash and bathe, there will be this debris that builds up on you. And some of you are thinking like, well, God just doesn't speak to me. When is the last time you just stood before God and said, Lord, I can't think of anything that I've done, but I know that I'm still unclean. I ask you to wash me. I ask you, God, I love the words of David. He even went a step further recognizing it's not my outside that needs to be clean. It's my heart that needs to be cleaned. God, create within me a completely clean heart. You know, that sin wants to burrow down into our lives and attach itself to our hearts. But coming before God and saying, Lord, wash me and make me clean will bring you back. It's like a divine reset so that you can step back into your daily life, but with the hammers working correctly and the ability to function clean again. Don't worry. You'll get stinky again today, and you'll have to shower again at the end of the day. It doesn't mean that you don't love Jesus. You're not following well. It just means this is a part of life, okay? Quit, quit, quit rubbing your face like the dog who, who urinated on the carpet. Don't allow the enemy to shove your face down to sniff your own smells. You just raise your, this is, there's a solution. The Bible says don't sin. But if you do, there's a solution. Don't sin. But if you do, don't, but. Don't, but if you do. Is that understanding that there's one perfect, his name is Jesus, and you're probably going to fail. Don't, but if you do, deal with it quickly and deal with it correctly. Come before God. It's not about, I'm sorry. It's, God, wash me. Your son came to die so that I could be washed. I could be clean before you, okay? Number two, uh, this is a good one. Uh, ruling over sins of desire. Now, this applies to none of you here in this room. I'll just preach to other churches that are no doubt going to Log on to our website to listen to me speak um, because you probably mastered this very well. But you will experience seasons of strong desire for things forbidden by God. Anybody? Something you really want and can't afford and fighting the temptation to figure out a way to buy it anyways. Or a relationship to pursue that you know you should. I had this crazy conversation with, a, with some teenagers. And this wasn't a teenager in our church, but was with some of our teenagers. And I made the comment of breaking up with somebody. You could just use that excuse that, you know, God told you. And it was kind of funny. This teenager piped up and said, oh, that's what I told the last guy I went out with. That God told me to break up. I said, I said yeah, you know, what's interesting usually about that is it's not that God told us to break up with him. If we were listening, we should have never gotten involved with him in the first place. Yeah. Make God look really dumb. God told me he wants me to go out with you. God told me he wants me to break up with you. Sins of desire. <laughs> that was free. Okay. Okay. 
Um, when you experience strong desires, what I have found that these are most often substitutes that intend to replace something God actually has for me that's even better, but this is here and now and kind of looks like the thing I'm looking for. Don't settle for a substitute. They usually will really reach on into that thing I call desire, that want, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life as Scripture talks about it. Uh, one thing you have to, have to realize is that strong desire, um, sometimes we treat it like it's Goliath, um, but the Bible says this in Hebrews chapter 12, even though there's a burn to that, it says, in your struggle against sin, you have not resisted to the point of shedding your blood. I know it feels like it sometimes, oh, I don't know what to do, this is so tempting. Yes, it is. But it's not choking you out. And it's not dragging you away. You can rule over it. Now, it's still going to burn, but again, I want to hear this. There's something, a beautiful moment between you and God as there's that strong desire, whatever it is, that you can actually take that burn of desire that's forbidden. There'll be some desires that God says, go for it, okay? And you're going to be like, really? God, you're really going to do that in my life? You're gonna, you have that for me? He's like, oh, yeah. The Bible says every good and perfect gift comes from the Father. In fact, it says that he lavishes his good gifts on us so that we can enjoy them. God actually does want you to enjoy this. I'm not saying everything is going to be enjoyable because fighting a, an enemy can be like this one, a strong desire, this thing I'm looking at. I really want this on here. This is burning. And God, you're telling me, no, I can't bring this on here. But there's a beautiful moment in that burn because you're able to offer that up to God as a sacrifice. David said, I will not offer to the Lord anything that doesn't cost me something. Your burning desires that are disallowed from God can actually be presented to God in a moment that says, Lord, this desire, you've said no to it, so I'm going to offer this to you as a gift it's the same burn that you'll feel when you give beyond your ability to. It's the same burn you'll feel when you have to go do something. You don't want to, I don't want to hug that person. I'm angry at them. They deserve my, God says I have to forgive them, so I'm going to ignore, I'm going to forgive. I'm going to let Jesus' offering on the cross to be full payment for what they did to me, and I'm going to embrace them the way he embraces me. And uh, there's a, is there not a burn to that? I saw someone in the store a while back, a couple, unexpectedly. And I'm telling you what, <laughs> there was a deep part of me that wanted to kung fu fighting, baby. <laughs> Everybody wants kung fu fighting! <laughs> That's just uh, me and my flesh. However... As soon as I saw them, I lurched forward and gave them a hug before they could say anything. I'm so thankful that that came out of me. It was unexpected. If I had any longer to really tr think about it, I think the burn, because uh, I didn't want to do that because they didn't deserve it. They didn't deserve that. Deserve a hug from me. But if I got from God what I actually deserved, so there's a burn there, right? And when you offer that burn up to God and say, 
God, I really want to do this, but I'm going to surrender this to you. Think about the sacrifice that happens in the Old Testament. They bring an animal in, the person offering the sacrifice. The priest doesn't do this. The person offering the sacrifice does. You know that you would have had to cut the throat of your own sacrifice. I don't know about you. I don't have the heart for that. I think the reason why that was a part of the experience was for you to understand that your sin required something to die. I think you and I, when we go to God and ask for forgiveness, we need to see, as we ask for that payment to be applied to our sin, we need to recognize payment was made, and that was his crucifixion, right? And so, but in that offering of that animal as a sacrifice, there was a fragrance that went up. There was a burn. It was, it was confusing. It was terrible and painful, and yet it was a sacrifice for something better. I think that you can offer up your burn to the Lord. And that when you do that, it's also a statement of faith that, Lord, I say no to this, though there's a burning for it. And I say no as an act of faith, knowing you have something better. Because this is just a substitute. And I refuse to take any substitutes. He paid full price for the real deal to come onto my territory. I'm going to hold out for the real deal. I'm going to hold out for the real thing. When you say no to the, to the tempting thing, you're actually saying yes. It's part of the great analogy that Jordan had about that investment cost, that upfront cost to do something means if I do this, I can't do some other things. Well, if I do this that burns, I'm not going to experience the real thing. So if I forego that purchase, I will have the resources to experience what God really intends later on. I believe so much in my future, God, I offer this, and it, it, it is burning, but there's a fragrance. I remember a few moments in my life where I've quit jobs that were going to rob me, where I cut off some relationships, especially as a young Christian. I, I didn't really have one, but, you know, your little black book of your friends you can call when you got nothing going on. Um, I remember losing all of that intentionally. Why? It's my offering saying, God, you've got more. You've got something better for my life. This is really hard, but I offer it up to you. Um, I've got one minute to finish my last two points. Um, let me take... <laughs> Thanks, Jeff. <laughs> That's our pastor. <laughs> I'll just let Pastor Phil know I'll need the first 10 minutes next week. Um, ruling over clinging sins. There are sins that want to cling to you that you are, you are susceptible to based on your upbringing, maybe based on your family, a lot of times based on trauma that you've experienced. I mean, do you know that unbelief is a sin? The sin of unbelief, it's a big one in the Bible. Not believing what God says, it is a sin. And yet it's a clinging sin for a lot of people because they've experienced trauma and it's burrowed its way down into their life and it's taken control. It actually clings to them. And a lot of times the way we try to deal with clinging sins is behavior modification. We're like, I'm not, I'm going to believe God. I'm not going to, I'm, I refuse to have anxiety. I'm not going to have anxiety. I'm not going to have anxiety. And we try, to, we try to modify our behavior. And it's impossible to modify your behavior to change your heart. 
The reason why these sins tend to cling to us, and they're usually the internal types of sins, it's worry, it's stress, it's unforgiveness, it's fear, it, you know, it's, it's a plethora of things. The reason why they're so able, the Bible here says sin which clings so closely. The reason why it clings so closely is because it doesn't have to grab your ankle. It's already halfway wrapped around the ventricles of your heart. It's able to draw you in regularly because of what you've experienced. Some of you have experienced sexual trauma as a young child, and there's these thoughts and these, these memories, and it grabs onto you in a way because this thing that happened built an inroad within you that wants to rise up all the time, and it doesn't have to reach far. And because it's on the inside of you, it needs to be dealt with differently than something on the outside of you. Um, behavior modification is a trap in this area. Well, I'm just going to stop doing that. How many of you have thought to yourself, um, I, I forgave them, but why don't I feel like I forgave them? Some of it's because that thing rooted so deeply in, and maybe forgiveness is an issue just in the grand scheme of things for you, that what, what you really need to do is it's less about forgiving, and it's more about your heart being changed. And I love what Steve said at the beginning of our, our gathering today about when you don't feel things that you know are real, you begin to speak them out and you declare them. And so in, instead of behavior modification, it's you speaking out the word of God that you are reading regularly, declaring it over your life, allowing the water of the word to wash your heart, and you begin to deal with the, the things that cling so closely to you by dealing with transformation of your heart, which is connected to your mind and your emotions. And, and sometimes this is not a one-shot deal. You're not going to come up to the altar and watch sins that, sins that cling so closely necessarily be removed in an instant. Now, I've seen some people have that happen, okay? And that's awesome, but most people, it's a season of transformation to see that thing rooted out. And I'll say this, you are likely not going to do that on your own. That's where you get counsel for somebody that you respect. You get input. Maybe you go to see a professional counselor. Uh, why am I angry all the time? Just stop being angry. The reason why you're angry all the time is because there's an expectation that's being unmet within your heart that, you, that, that, that is always residing there that wants to bubble out. And uh, when your child annoys you, it comes out then has nothing to do with a child and nothing to do with you being more patient with that child. It's all about the condition of something in your heart completely unconnected. And it's unlikely if you have sins that are frequently wrapping you and clinging so closely, you're probably going to overcome them on your own. But I promise you, the Bible talks about confess your sins to one another, pray for one another. I'd say even get encouragement and counsel from somebody who does well in that area and as you pray and as you spend time doing involved with, this is not me becoming more spiritual so that goes away. It's me becoming stronger spiritually so that I know how to rule over and push that thing out. That thing's not going to go away, but you're going to pull it out and push it off of your territory. Okay? Watch, stand with me. Worship team's going to come, and I'll just finish the final one, and maybe I'll just have to do a whole series on this. I won't have time. Uh, there's actually some sins of bondage that will grab onto your life. And these fall in the category of addictions or things that have, the, these aren't just things that have grabbed onto your heart. These are things that are literally have not only latched onto you, they become a part of you. You carry them, maybe you receive them from family and you carry them into family. 
These are things that want to attach themselves to you, and they have created some serious limps within your life. You read about this in the book of John. There's a man who is on a mat, and Jesus tells him to get up, pick your mat up, and walk. I don't know how long the man has been an invalid. The story probably says that in one of the other, other versions of this story. But he picks up his mat, and he goes off. And later on, Jesus sees him, and Jesus has a conversation with him. And this is what he, Jesus, this doesn't apply to every sin, but it applies to this man's sin or his being on a mat. The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said, See, I have made you well. In other words, you were crippled in your lifetime. There was a thing that had grabbed onto you, and I pried it off of you. But he goes on to say, See, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. Is that the case for all sickness? It's certainly, definitely not. But there are some situations where you and I, we experience a debilitation in our lives because of things that we've experienced that involve sin. Sometimes it's someone else's sin against us. And it grabs onto us and we're trying to navigate through our territory and life, but we are, we are, we are, hamstrung it feels like all the time because there is something that has attached itself to us. We either invited it onto our territory or somebody else brought it onto our territory and it got on us. Um, I could say a lot about this. Ephesians 4.27 though says, do not give the devil a foothold. In other words, if he's on this territory and he's established that he owns this corner, you can rule over him and push him back out. So if you're experiencing this type of struggle with sin, there is freedom for you that can come with a fight. James 4, 7 says, submit yourself therefore to God. Resist the devil. It's not saying resist temptation. It's saying resist the devil. He has shown up. He has topography on your property. Resist him. Push him off. And a lot of times we don't push them off because we think, oh, this is just, I'm going to be like this for the rest of my life. I, I, I struggle with anxiety at a level that keeps me from being around people that I desperately want to be around. The doctor told me that's just my disease. I'll tell you what, don't you ever accept a diagnosis for anybody as something permanent? I mean, it might be what you have right at this moment, but it's not a forever thing. It is not a forever thing. It is not a forever thing just because it can be diagnosed medically like, hey, you're crippled. Have an expectation that this foothold that exists on my territory will come to an end because I can resist this diagnosis and see God visit this thing. That's going to be my attitude for you no matter what your diagnosis is. That's going to be the attitude of the house. And we're going to believe God. If we got to pray a thousand times, we're going to believe God. Okay? I want to challenge you to recognize when the enemy has put shackles around you, especially when it's a medical condition, because that's one of the most effective ways in our naturalistic American life. We want to attribute everything to natural causes. And I want you to know that in the Bible, there are people that are sick because of spiritual causes. It's a reality. Okay. Good enough. That's why it says, therefore, confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another so that you can be healed, so that you can break free, so that you can get out of this. Okay? Anybody here, you, you deal with sin? Rule over it. Learn to rule over it. If it's something small, wash. If it's something that wants to trip you up, 
work around it. If it's something that's constantly clinging to you, recognize that and find a solution and overcome it. If it's something that's actually taking you prisoner, go to war. Go to war because your freedom is valuable, but the lives attached to your life will experience some of the same difficulty if you don't overcome it. Fight that enemy for the sake of your children and overcome. You'll experience a freedom, but so will your kids, okay? All right, they're going to take this and I'm going to get down off the platform. Sorry, how many minutes ago did I invite you guys to come up here? Twelve. It's not true. It's like seven minutes ago. Liars. Jalise now is going to demonstrate repentance for us. She's coming now to the center stage. I'm just kidding. Okay, Lord, come on, raise your hands with me. Father, we raise my hands towards the heavens to you and invite you, Lord, to wash my hands and allow your forgiveness to overflow my life. God, wash down across my hands and over my eyes and over my mouth, which has sinned so often, over my ears, the things that I've heard, over my mind, which is filled with wrong thoughts so regularly. God, allow that washing to cleanse down, downward into my heart. And Father, not only wash my heart, but create in me a clean heart. Allow me to experience the freshness God of forgiveness this day. Help me to learn to walk in this. And Lord, help our people to learn to rule well over sin. It's always crouching at the door, maybe even more so as we become more spiritual, as we take more spiritual ground, as we grow in strength, as we become greater, more powerful men and women of God. But in understanding that we can master it. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. There's always a way of escape in facing any temptation. And God, you're able to help me to rule over it, to tell it to get out and go away. And I'm able to deal with it, not just resist it, but to command it to go as I learn to rule over it. Father, we thank you for all of the good things. We're not just, we're not just forgiven on the cross. We are empowered to rule over even temptation. And I thank you for a victorious life that we can live. Help that victory to not only be experienced on a daily basis in each of our lives, but I ask also as a church that we can walk in a high level of victory so that as people step into this house, they can experience that same victory that Jesus offers. We pray in his name and everyone said amen and amen. Give the Lord a hand. Let's... Thanks for being with us today. Be sure to like and subscribe and visit us at c3swwa.com for more information about our church.